You know, it used to be that if you were a big law firm, you had to have a major presence in Manhattan, and it had to be a shimmering architectural masterpiece of an office. Now, not so much. Today on the podcast, we talk about how big law kicked its prestige addiction and other ways the industry has been totally transformed overnight. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So Roy Strom, who's appeared on this podcast before, writes a weekly column for us about big law, and he actually just published his 100th column. Here's the first line from his first column published way, way back in the summer of 2019. Quote, almost any change to the prevailing big law business model takes a long time, like a really long time. Well, not always, Roy, at least not when a global pandemic hits. Roy's 100th column looked at the now breakneck pace of change within big law, and he joins us today on On the Merits to talk about all of this change, why it's happening so quickly, and whether it will be permanent. Roy started off by acknowledging that back in 2019, his crystal ball was a little foggy. So I looked back at my first column, and I noted how poorly timed I was when I said that any kind of change in big law takes a really long time to happen because since the pandemic, big law firms have really never changed so fast. Uh, I mean, at one point, they basically stopped paying their partners overnight. So uh, they did the same thing in closing their offices one weekend, and most still haven't really reopened them 18 months later. Um, And when they all thought the pandemic would mean a huge recession, they stopped hiring people. Uh, But, of course, the pandemic turned out to be closer to a boom than a bust for big law firms. Um, And now they're hiring people faster than they've ever done before. And they're hiring people in places they never would have considered before, like Salt Lake City. And they're changing the way they're paying them as well. So it's been a lot of change. Well, you know, uh, we don't all have crystal balls, so I think you can be forgiven for not for seeing a global pandemic. Um, which of which of those do you think was the most surprising? You know, the one that you thought this could never happen. Big law will never do this. And then it did happen. Well, in the column, I wrote that a lot of these changes are maybe kind of like just what you'd expect a business to do, which would be to just respond to the market changes. Um, but the thing that's sort of maybe more dramatic or maybe more impactful is that a lot of these sort of surface level changes really challenge, I think at least, some kind of long-held beliefs that have, I think, personally held law firms back. For instance, law firms, you know, they're like the most reliable source of income for building owners because anytime they go to a new city, they insist on buying the most expensive office space. Uh, Part of their culture is really presenting this face as very serious and prestigious. Uh, But of course, today, uh, the office doesn't mean what it used to, and big law firms are opening up in places where they don't even have an office. You know, their Atlanta address might be a partner's home address. So I think underneath it, it it shows that their allegiance, uh, or at least their ability to break away from this sort of uh, captivity that this idea of prestige has had on them they, they know at least now that they can do it. Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, now I'm thinking about going into the lobbies of all these sort of law firms when, you know, I go interview uh, sources and they're always extremely ornate, 
very almost looking like museums. Uh, it sounds like from what you're saying, law firms are not looking to open any of these new shiny, you know, monuments to their own corporate success anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, they haven't, obviously, during the pandemic, which makes sense. It remains to be seen, I think, if they will in the future. I do think they will be more willing to go to new cities and to view their sort of roster a little more kind of geographic agnostic. I don't think that they will be investing as much in their office space writ large. Uh, I don't think they're going to be working out of, you know, the suburbs anytime soon. But I do think that just the concept of of not having a ornate office in a city that you hold yourself out as operating in is a really big change. It sounds kind of stupid, but it's a really big change for these firms. And, you know, I want to get back to something you mentioned earlier that you said that a lot of the changes that have happened in big law are just businesses responding to market conditions like any other business would. But you also noted in your your column that before the pandemic, these businesses weren't really responsive to the markets. They were, you know, slow and kind of, you know, not really changing with the times. Uh, And now it sounds like they're very responsive to the times. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, law firms, especially the elite law firms, have for almost ever really operated in their this sort of prevailing business model where they hire from the best schools, they um, charge the most money, they do end up working with the most important clients um, on their most important matters, and they make a lot of money doing it. And it is not necessarily wrong that prestige is an important part of the law firm business model. Uh, Lawyers are looked to by big corporations to answer really tough problems and to be sort of a backstop for a lot of decision making that corporate executives are uncomfortable making on their own. So it's not totally irresponsible or wrong that prestige plays a big role in what they do. Uh, And it's important that sort of in these places that it continues. I just write from the perspective of the employees and the partners sometimes there's aspect of it that might go overboard or um, is kind of unnecessary just from like the day-to-day work environment that these places represent. It seems like a lot of the changes that you cited uh, that you just talked about have to do with the scarcity of talent um, that arose after the COVID economic recovery was underway and a lot of these firms are seeing a lot more business, hiring a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. I mean, these elite firms have never been in demand the way they are right now for at least a decade, uh, probably longer. There's a lot of liquidity in the economy right now. And really what these elite law firms do is sort of the paperwork, the regulatory work that allows this money to move around. Um, And big corporate transactions, M&A has set records all year. Financing, uh, companies are issuing more debt than ever. That's been super, super busy for like a year and a half. Um, and law firms just did not, and in many cases still do not, really have enough lawyers to do all the work. And so they have been out there competing to hire people. They're paying their junior lawyers record bonuses, you know, close to $165,000 in bonuses just for one senior associate in many cases. And then they're changing the business model to compensate their most important partners to reward them for bringing in all this business. I wonder how much of this is due to the pandemic or how much of this would have happened eventually anyway. And what made me think about that is 
you know, before the pandemic even, you saw, you know, companies very slowly moving toward more remote work, working from home. Obviously, the pandemic accelerated that to kind of a uh, extreme degree. But it seemed like we were heading in that direction that more people would be able to work from home. Uh, do you think that the the pandemic kind of accelerated some things or did it cause some things to happen that never would have happened uh, had, you know, we not had this kind of really disruptive event? I mean, I certainly don't think these law firms would have packed up their offices and, and gone away one day, <laughs> some sort of zombie movie or something. But I don't think they'd be hiring people in places like Salt Lake City without the pandemic. I don't necessarily think they would be paying these senior associate bonuses so much because I just don't think that this, I think this the surge in work they're experiencing is also related to the pandemic. So there's part of it that can never sort of be uh, untangled. But I do think that you have a good point that some of the things the pandemic did was just accelerate changes, um, which for instance, these wealthiest firms have been outpacing the rest of the pack for a long time. I mean, basically since the financial crisis, the the rich have gotten richer in law firm world. Um, and that really accelerated during the past two years. Uh, those are the firms um, that have the biggest workload right now. And um, they've made more money than they ever have before. And that led to more competition for the lawyers, for the limited supply of lawyers who work at those places and have really a, a good experience doing these types of deals and transactions that's called that type of competition where people are just paying more money than ever for these lawyers has cha- has caused some firms who in the industry pay their lawyers on this sort of seniority based system that they call lockstep uh, they've had to re-examine that they've had to pay their more important partners more money um, because if they don't, somebody else will. And so that is a trend that was happening before, long before the pandemic. People were breaking away from this seniority-based lockstep model. And um, probably some of the firms that did do that during or since the pandemic would have ultimately, but maybe just not so fast. Yeah. Do you think that some of this stuff will snap back eventually? Uh, Particularly, I'm thinking about your point on prestige, which was really interesting. Um, You know, right now, it seems like law firms don't care as much about the sort of the razzle dazzle, I guess, as they as they used to. Do you think that'll change, though? Maybe, you know, that, that old habits will come back? Yeah, yeah. I guess none of us really have the sort of luxury to, to care about the razzle dazzle, right? Where you do podcasts in your pajamas if you want. But <laughs> I will hold on. No, I just I just want to point out I am fully clothed. I'm wearing a button down shirt. I wrote my column right at a coffee shop today, so I uh, <laughs> I'm I'm fully dressed as well. But indeed, um, I think you're right. Some of this stuff will certainly snap back, and. Uh, I think, like I was saying, I think law firms do want to be seen as prestigious. I think desperately so. Um, But what I wrote about in the column was that some of these sort of touchstones that were almost like uh, the places that this this prestige sort of took um, occupation was uh, just gone away. You know, the office is not what it used to be. Um, Law school credentials were always... A big one in terms of signaling prestige and and the best firms only hire from like the top 14 schools well 
that's changing now, um, especially as firms are taking more seriously and their efforts to become more diverse workplaces. Um, and firms have always had this sort of, another thing I mentioned in the column was this sort of sophomoric view they have that the revenue the firm has is some signal of prestige, that bigger is always better. Um, even though I think most business people would say that being more profitable is probably more important than sheer size. Um, and law firms during the pandemic, I think, have actually started to prioritize profitability more than ever before. Um, for initially, because they were afraid that their clients would, would slash their bills while, while they themselves, the clients, faced sort of pressure to cut costs. And then when that didn't materialize to the extent they expected and partners made more money than ever, the partners were interested in figuring out, well, how can we keep making more money than ever? And so... Uh, profitability is being baked into compensation decisions in, in firms where it never was before, where it was just how much money, revenue are you bringing in. So sort of all these vestiges of, of their allegiance to this prestige-based business model sort of naturally fell by the wayside. Um, and I, I think certainly some will snap back. Um, but I think given how rigid the, the culture in these firms has been, how, how sort of inflexible it's been for so long. I just have to think personally that there's a value in people who are inside those organizations seeing uh, sort of that they can operate outside of those things. And and just having them gone for a temporary period even uh, might open up a view to change that is more uh, accepting than it used to be. All right. Well, you've just written 100 columns for Bloomberg Law. I'm looking forward to your next 100 columns. Uh, but I'm going to put you on the spot here and say, after you've you've written your 200th column, uh, what will Big Law look like? Um, you know, based on your last answer, I get the sense that you think there have been permanent changes that you know things will not go back to the way they were two years ago. Where do you see Big Law in in two years, especially when it comes to legal tech and automation, which is really advancing at a really rapid clip? Well, like I was the first time around, I'm sure I'll be wrong a lot about this time around, but uh, that's, I think, what makes being a columnist kind of fun. Um, I think the office probably will go back to being more of a central part of law firm culture. Um, and that'll probably happen sooner than people expect. I think it. I think it'll look differently. I don't think clients will be as interested in going to law firm offices, uh, doing that sort of thing. Maybe I'm wrong there. Um, but one thing that I think will be interesting to see will be whether. Uh, I. I mean, I think the other thing that's important important to point out is that I do think that these the wealthiest group of firms will continue to separate. And so what I think will be interesting for the group that is not among that wealthiest who, who, you know, continues to prosper from the way the business sort of operates now, which is do the work, get paid for your time. I think this, this smaller firms uh, continue to look for a way to compete on a different level. And if they're able to build some of these sort of products that maybe is, is more profitable than just the inherent sort of margin pressure that comes with you can only bill so many hours a day. I think that firms have been trying to figure that out. People have talked about that for quite a long time in the industry. It's 
it hasn't quite uh, come to fruition. It is a long, long journey I think firms have on that sort of more automated path. Um, but I think it's one that there's enough firms out there pursuing that it'll happen eventually. And I think um, it would uh, it would be a bigger change than any of the things I wrote about th- uh, after these 100 columns, but um, it could happen. The robots are coming for us all, I guess. <laughs> all right, Roy. Well, thank you so much uh, for talking with us. Uh, congratulations on uh, hitting this milestone. And uh, we'll have you back on the podcast soon. Yeah, thanks, David. That will do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Cheryl Sines, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. That's B as in BLaw. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much.